Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about balance. We're talking about what it looks like to balance a game so it all works out. You don't have one side that's stronger than the other. You don't have anything that's OP. We're talking to Isaac Vega from Plat Hat Games. Isaac, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, man. I, okay, if, if this podcast was a set collecting game, I think I just won because I think you're the final person I need to talk to from Plat Hat. <laughs> I've, I've talked to everybody else in the building other than maybe the janitor. And so, so excited <laughs> to finally get you on the show, man. Oh, Thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. So just in case people haven't heard of you, they don't know who Isaac Vega is, even though you've designed some of the best games in the world. Kind of give me your bio. Give me how you got into game design, all that good stuff. Well, I started uh, playing games around uh, 2010, uh, 2009, 2010, that kind of uh, time period. And that's when I really started like figuring out, oh, my gosh, what is this industry that people are really uh, – interested about what are board games like i thought they were just monopoly and uh scrabble and things like that and uh, my friends that i used to play magic with and like a dragon ball z card game with uh had like transitioned to that while i was away at college and then i came back and i was like oh well this is an interesting thing let me go ahead and try it out and as soon as like they were showing me that stuff i was like hooked i was like oh my gosh this stuff is so much fun i want to try designing my own and i was lucky enough to be introduced to uh colby uh who was um only a town away and he was, had been starting his company he had had a lot of success with summer wars at that time and i showed him something i'd work was working on and he was really encouraging uh it wasn't a great game for sure um so he definitely passed on that but um he was encouraging and uh eventually i pitched him city of remnants and from that point on i was just really um excited about the possibility of working in the industry and I took every opportunity I possibly could to volunteer and help out and uh, just help the company prosper and by the time that you know Colby had the opportunity to bring someone on he hired me as his first employee yeah very cool man so and that was back when you guys were in Ohio now you've since moved yeah. to Dallas and like things have gone bigger and you you sold who do you, who do you technically work for now I keep Forgetting. Uh, we work for Asmodee there North go. America. So, um, yeah, and they they are a you know, big company. They have a lot of uh, other companies and I think about 700 employees around the world. So it's kind of cool to be part of a, something big, uh, really like big and so many different um, voices and talents that we can go ahead and collaborate with and talk to and learn from. Yeah, definitely. Now, tell me some of the games that you've worked on that people would have heard of. Um, my first game was City Remnants, uh, and that one did okay. <laughs> um, my second game was uh, Bioshock, so I had the opportunity to work on the Bioshock video game uh, version of a board game, so that was really cool. And um, then I also, uh, the third game that came out was Dead of Winter. Um, then we did a little game called Video Game High School that we did for a YouTube company. And uh, then I did Ashes, and my most recent release is Starship Samurai. 
Yeah, very cool, man. And I'm excited to talk to about talk to you about some of those games that are that seem to be very balanced, and we'll talk about the seem to be versus the reality of of things as well. Uh, but let's just let's just talk. Well, about I'm glad it. you think so. <laughs> <laughs> there are probably people who disagree, as always. But let's talk about balance. As like, what's a good working definition when we're talking about balance and balancing a game? What are we really talking about? I think the best thing um, to how to describe balance is to have everybody feel like the system that they are playing in is fair from every person's perspective. Um, it's, it's difficult to always have everybody feel that way. Um, the way that I kind of approach balancing a game is to make sure that the feeling is there because sometimes even if every number is perfect and every stat says that, oh, this deck is correct, the feeling can be off. And when people have that feeling, then they don't, they're, then they're taken out of the fun. And that's really the most important aspect of what you're trying to accomplish in board gaming. Yeah, definitely. I'd say that word feel is very, very much the right word to use there. It's all about perception, right? Cause like you said, right. you could, you could, you have a spreadsheet and you can have every number plugged in and everything is perfectly balanced with everything else. But if people don't perceive it's balanced, then their reviews aren't going to say it's balanced. And like the way they right. rate the game and all that kind of thing, the way they talk to their friends is, is right. not going to be the same thing. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of people that I've talked to who say, yeah, balance, there's no such thing. It's, it's only the perception, only the feeling of balance. And so what, what is that feeling though? Like, how do you know as a designer, maybe you're watching playtest, maybe you're playtesting yourself. How do you know, okay, this feels balanced. Like, what does that look like? Well, it was quite the process. I mean, for a long time, it was about how do our friends feel? How do we feel? How are we like, do we go ahead and ask opinions and we played as much as possible and we put it in front of as much people as possible. But when Dead of Winter came along, we felt like uh, we needed to kind of amp up our playtesting system. So we had the opportunity to have about, I think, 100 playtest groups on that game. Oh. And we were able to collect a whole bunch of data. And I created this pretty much just one sheet that everybody had to fill out after every game. And we'd go ahead and get those emailed to us and collect that data and try to put it into a spreadsheet and figure out, like, okay – this is how are people feeling about these games and then make adjustments and then have them play again and have them fill out those sheets and do that over and over and over again and, t and trying to get these little paragraphs in which like, hey, explain to us how your, uh, your game group felt. Let us know if you understood everything. Um, if there were specific stats that we were looking for, we were trying to understand like, hey, is this character overpowered or underpowered and things like that. And for the most part, that worked really well because we were able to kind of pinpoint the things that were being re repeated over and over again. It's like, hey, this character feels like they're constantly winning and this character feels like they're constantly useless and never chosen. So how do we make sure that they become something that people don't feel that way about and make sure that they kind of fall in line with all of the other characters or all of the other cards or abilities and things in the game that the game offers. Um, that sometimes, uh, depending on the game is really important. And sometimes depending on the game, it isn't like, Games like Dead of Winter were more focused about the narrative aspect. The story that you walk away from um, with a game doesn't need to have every single number and thing work out perfectly. Sometimes certain characters need to be something uh, that's going to be more attractive because that helps play into the story of who they are and how players walk away from that game. 
But when it came to the game like Ashes, um, we wanted to take a step even further. And this was actually with the assistance of a lot of playtesters that also helped us improve our playtesting uh, systems. They, we created a Google Docs sheet, which then we were able to implement into multiple graphs in order to collect very specific information based on card stats, how much cards costed versus how much um People were putting them into their decks and deck building them. And then also, again, how did the players feel about specific cards? Did you feel this card was overpowered? Or did you feel this card was underpowered? And really, in the end, as we've continued with Ashes, we've seen that the most important data is how do players feel about a card versus how much this card specifically costed versus that card, you know, two releases ago and all of this kind of little bit of stuff that in the ends, whether or not, whether or not it's perfectly, perfectly balanced, it's about how the players felt about how it interacted with the rest of the game. And the truth is, is that with games that are kind of like collectible card games, you're never going to get everything perfectly because you can only fit in so many plays in a realistic playtesting session. And by the time it hits the market, you're going to be getting thousands upon thousands of people, hopefully <laughs> thousands upon thousands of more plays in that you could have never done in playtesting that is going to catch things that you probably never anticipated happening or even thought of because there's so many possibilities in those types of games. Yeah, definitely. This is something Magic runs into all the time, which is why they ban cards regularly mm -hmm. and why they create all these rules around the competitive play. And I imagine that, you know, talking about the different kinds of games is going to you know, determine different kinds of balancing. If you have a narrative-driven game like Dead of Winter, balance not yeah. as big of a deal as a competitive game like Ashes, right, where you've got people coming in playing tournaments and you're, you have all those min-maxers finding the most ideal way to, like, win, you know, above... Winning is the thing, right? It's not necessarily just playing the game. It's also, I'm trying to win, I'm trying to win some money, trying to win tournaments. And so the balance mm -hmm. comes into more play there. And so I want, I want to talk to you more about kind of the different ways you balance games specifically like ashes versus dead of winter uh, in a minute but let's talk about just kind of general concepts what have you found as far as like ways to hide the the balance as far as like using randomness using dice using different things where okay the the balance doesn't come through as much because there's a lot of random elements i think that's that's a good way usually uh decks uh dice those kinds of things um definitely allow for random random things like dead in, uh, dead of winter for example the crisis cards, they come out, you could have the worst possible crisis cards come out right after each other and have a crazy game, but then you still walk away from that experience. It's like that experience happened to us and our group. How did we handle it? What kind of stories came out of that? And did it, did it create a positive experience? And even in the worst uh, stacked deck the worst scenario the worst dice rolls i have had people come up to me and say i had a blast because this this and this happened now if that was the case in an ashes game <laughs> that's not how people would feel they would be like oh no i couldn't control all of these things that were were, were happening to me and because of that i had a negative experience so you want to be able to in some situations very much control the luck elements and in other situations just let it happen because it allows for interesting situations that the players can walk away with um as far as like 
other ways to like hide it. There's there's things that you can kind of make um, decisions. There's a game that I'm working on right now that has a lot of story elements that hides players' decisions um, from from um, what what event is going to happen afterwards. And depending on how you decide something, something else could happen. You know, kind of like how the crossroads mechanic worked as well. You know, when you went to a location, you never knew if something was going to trigger because you made that decision. Yeah, definitely. And I love the tension of the crossroads element. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go here, and then you, like, pause. Like, no, didn't trigger? Okay, I'm going to go. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. But you bring up a good point as far as turning a bug into a feature. In Dead of Winter, yeah. the bug of imbalance turns into a feature where people are like, oh, man, mm-hmm. remember when that crazy thing happened right after that other crazy thing? And so, right. again, it's, it's really knowing your game and knowing your audience, right? If you're making right. this, like, really heavy Euro, balance is a lot more important than if you're making this oh, story-driven, yeah. narrative-driven uh, type of game. Now, Let's, let's kind of back up and, and just another general thing. Why is this so important? Why is this something that people need to pay more attention to? Because there's a lot of games, especially with Kickstarter and all that, that maybe needed one more round of development, one more round of balancing, and mm-hmm. you know just didn't do it for whatever reason. Why, why should people be aware of that, be more uh, aware of balance when they're developing a game? I think it's because when most people, when they're approaching a game where balance feels very, very important to them, um, they're approaching it because they want to have the feeling of I figured out the system. I figured out how to be clever. And it wasn't that the system was unfair to me. There's so much unfairness that happens in our world all the time that when we sit down and play a game for enjoyment, having things that are unfair and crazy, unless it's that type of game where the point was to, for everybody to have a good time, for everybody to have an interesting narrative aspect happening to them, or just to have a good laugh, um, or in a, you know, in a cooperative experience where we're all working together, you know, at least we're all experiencing that. But when people are, you know, against each other, they want to feel like their decisions mattered and it wasn't something that they couldn't control. Um, that affected the way that the game kind of turned out. So it's, I think that's why it's important because people want to have this feeling of fairness. Yeah, for sure. One of the worst things I've ever heard a playtester say or anything I, I've ever said while playtesting game is I, f- I feel like I didn't have a chance to win. You know, yeah. like for whatever reason, and it could have just been because I played terribly or, you know, I just got yeah. bad hands or whatever it was. But it's just, it's not fun when you feel like I don't have a chance. And whether it's the game's fault or your own fault, it doesn't change the fact that this is your perception and you're maybe not ever going to play that game again. Just kind of the way things are now. There's so many games right. coming out that it's the perception right off the bat. And it's a little annoying because I've seen so many people online talk about, oh, this game that Eric Lang just came out with is completely unbalanced. And he didn't, there's no balance. It's like, well, I feel, I feel like. He knows what he's doing as a game designer. Same with you guys over at Plat Hat. It's like, I feel like you guys have done the due diligence to make a game as balanced as possible. Oh, it doesn't matter. Like, no matter what we do, <laughs> there's always going to be somebody that feels like yeah. a game is finicky or unbalanced. But that's that comes with, like, putting anything that you create out there. Yeah. There's always going to be criticism against it. And balance is a thing that is always going to get attacked um, as well. I think when designers put in, you know, as much care as possible, sometimes they're going to be able to succeed and sometimes they're not going to be able to succeed. It just really depends on the amount of time that they were able to put in, the amount of effort, the the amount of experience that they have. Um, It's a lot of different factors. And in the end, it's about the audience and the game and, 
you know, if it connected with them, you know, it could be the most unbalanced game ever, but if it connects with your audience, it works, you know, and if it, it's the most polished, super balanced, perfectly, <laughs> perfectly made game and it doesn't connect to the audience then it doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know? So it, it's, it's definitely part of the equation, but it's not everything. Yeah, for sure. Another thing is kind of funny about this situation is very rarely do I hear the person who won the game go, this game is imbalanced. It's always the guy that either lost or like got second place and he's a little salty yeah. about it. He's like, Oh, this game's broken. It's like, are you and that, that really turns, <laughs> that really turns everything back around to it, it really is something about how people feel. Yeah. You know, if if every player can walk away from the experience feeling that they they could have won, you know, I had the opportunity if I would have just done this or if I would have made the right decision or, you know, if I would have gone there instead of here, that's when people feel good. That's like, okay, you walked away. Yeah, it was it was because you were really the better player. You won out. You did you did it. You did everything you were supposed to do in order to best us. Um, but if you walk away and it's like, oh, man, there's no way I could have possibly done that because that happened and this happens. And it's like completely, what were they thinking when they designed that game? Yeah. You know, and it's just like, then they're going to feel it's unbalanced, even if it was the most balanced game. You know, it's, it's, it's really about how people perceive it. And, you know, maybe that's not always <laughs> the best thing to come off of, uh, uh, to, to walk away from or think of, but like, in the end, it's it's the responsibility of the game and the rules and the designer to make sure that as many times as possible, people don't walk away with that experience, um, whether or not it's fair for someone to feel that way about the game, it doesn't really matter in the end. Yeah. So what are some things that you found just as you've been designing, as you've been growing and learning, what are some ways to adjust that perception? What are some ways to kind of safeguard your game so people don't have that feeling as often? On every in every game that I have designed since Ashes, we have a Google Doc in which we ask the players what were things that you felt were unbalanced or overpowered, and what were things that you felt were underpowered. You know, so we always have them listed. It's like one of the most important things for them to fill out, and it's like, how did you feel about these specific things? So they have the opportunity to say, this is this felt underpowered. This felt all right, uh, uh, overpowered, and um, and then we also want a synopsis of kind of like how their group felt. How do they walk away? We always ask, would you come back to the game? Would you play the game again after this play? So if we're noticing things trending towards, hey, people don't want to come back to this, <laughs> what is going on? You know, um, and these are the cards that they list that are overpowered, and that probably has something to do with it. You know, if they're not giving information on, you know, cards that they feel are unbalanced or overpowered, then maybe it's the system of the game in general, the core concept that needs to be revamped. Um, and then if it's things that were, are just like constantly being brought up by multiple groups, you know, but a few outliers maybe have, oh, I felt this way about that one. Those are things that we can go ahead and put to the side and see if it's something that continues as playtesting continues as well. So, I mean, the things that we we've learned is that we're kind of we're kind of not so focused so much on specific stats unless it's the specific game for it. Sometimes there are games that like you really do have to track mm, how much is this costing versus how much that's costing and making sure that things are more balanced as far as like the economy of the game. But um, 
for the most part, how things feel is really the most important thing. And it seems to have steered our games in a better direction since we've started implementing that. Yeah, definitely. It's such an exercise in player psychology. I can't remember if it was League of Legends or or it was one of the MOBA games. And I read this thing about the developers talking about how they were trying to balance and all these things. And it was interesting because they would would say things, you know, they would tell the the uh, the player base hey we adjusted this this character and now you know they should be a little more balanced they should be a little more powered up or whatever and there's been a, a few cases where they accidentally like didn't upload the new stats or like whatever but even the players still were like oh yeah this is way better even though the stats were the same everything was the same but all the developers <laughs> yeah. did would say hey we fixed it and the players because of the psychology were like yeah yeah this is a lot better it's like huh. mm. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting how it's it's so yeah. perception based very interesting i never i never heard about that that's awesome yeah i don't remember which game <laughs> it was but um, so as far as like tracking stuff, what all do you track? Do you track, you know, with ashes, which character, like what character wins and like how things want, like what are, what are some of the data points yeah, that well, you get? When we're in preliminary testing, like we, we kind of just test the deck without deck building. Yeah. So pretty much the base deck out against all of the other base decks that exist in the game. That takes a while um, now, doesn't it? So we go ahead and look at like, Hey, how is this character doing? versus all of the other characters that exist in the game. How often are they winning um, versus those characters? How often are they losing? And we try to kind of stay within a 60, uh, 60 to 40 range, 60% wins, losses. Um, so that's very important for the deck as a whole. Um, so it's just like, is this a deck that is, you know, that works? You know, do does its systems work against the system that we created? Um, and then we, when we get into the deck building aspect, it's very much about like which specific cards are being utilized and built into other decks more often by the playtesting groups. Like why why are they selecting these cards in specific versus the other cards that we put into that deck <laughs> um, to put into their decks? And how often are the when they use those cards are they winning those games? And then we still look at always. Are people listing those cards as overpowered often? Are they listing them underpowered? And even if their percentages are saying that, hey, these cards actually aren't contributing towards people winning the game that often, we still adjust them if people are constantly listing them as things that, hey, people are feeling that this card is constantly winning people games. You know, so we kind of have to measure out between those two things. And sometimes we sometimes if we feel oh man it's only that card even though everybody's listening as overpowered um is only winning 40 percent of their games so let's go ahead and just keep it keep it for another week and see if people still keep listing it because sometimes it's about its relation with other cards in the game um that are currently existing too so sometimes it's just like how does this card combo with something else that's also maybe maybe listed as overpowered and making adjustments there what LCGs, competitive card games, those are some of the most complicated things to balance, and it takes the most time, it takes a lot of play testers, it takes a lot of data, but, and luckily for me, uh, great lead play testers and uh, people that have been play testing the game for a very, very long time, so also have a very good understanding of how, what, what we're trying to do with every new deck that we release. So, um... Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we we have to keep an eye on a lot of different factors, and every card is scrutinized uh, from a lot of different angles. Um, but you know, it's it's just kind of goes with that type of game, and luckily, it's been able to go on as long as it has to be able to 
to uh, uh, still keep people engaged. Yeah, definitely. Now, I've talked to some designers, especially newer designers, and they get super worried about the balance. You know, they're so concerned about now, does this card, this enemy, does he need 2 HP or 4 HP and all these things? And, and so, they'll, you know, and just in conversation online, and I'll ask them a very simple question. Well, how many times have you play tested? And they'll say, oh, you know, once. Twice. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. well, maybe balance isn't the thing you need to be worrying about right now. Right. And it's like, what would you say? Like, when do you start really thinking about? Okay, let's worry about the balance. Like, what, at what point in the process? Uh, I don't. I I worry about that after I am getting the feeling right. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm working on a game right now. The, we made a terrible prototype. Its numbers were all over the place. But I wanted to see if the concept worked. I yeah. sat down with people. I put it in front of them. Are they engaged? Are they enjoying? Are they laughing? Are they are they having a good time with the experience? Um, I don't look at balance from day one at all. Like what I'm looking for is that is this system even working? Do people understand the rules that I have tried to put in front of them? Uh, and then two, are they walking away with smiles? You know, are they are they enjoying themselves during the during the game? Um, and if those two things are happening, I've already I'm already ecstatic. <laughs> you know, yeah. because balance can come later. Balance is balance is part of like just kind of understanding that system that you've built more and more and more, and putting it in front of more and more people so you can see the things that kind of stick out that are just not working for them, even though they may still be enjoying the system. Because that's when you're really gonna find the things that need to be tweaked, once people are already engaged, that's when you're really going to find, oh, okay, that number's overpowered or that card needs to not exist <laughs> anymore because people actually care yeah. about the outcome. Um, when people don't, that means you don't have them engaged. They're not going to tell you which cards actually need to be changed. Um, so you need to make sure people actually care about the process before you think you're before you're going to be able to fix it you know because if they don't care about it then it doesn't it doesn't matter how many times you put it in front of them it's not it, balance is not <laughs> balance is not your issue right now. yeah absolutely <laughs> you know yeah so often i've told people make a good game cuz balance yeah. there's no amount of balance is going to make a bad game into a good game. It's not magic. Like ba balance is not the magic bullet for any game. And so right. make a good game, make some good systems. Worry about balance once like you're saying, once people are enjoying it, once they're laughing and having a good time, then go, right. okay, maybe this needs to be a 4 instead of a 2, right? right. And start tweaking it then. Right. I feel like also another thing that people get caught up on as as game designers, we are in general pretty creative people. Well, mm. one of the main struggles any any creative person has is procrastination. And balance is a great way to procrastinate but feel like you're doing something productive. Like when you're sitting there like really <laughs> worried about oh two versus four. Yeah. Like you're really just procrastinating. You're you're not playtesting, you're not doing anything that's really gonna help you get get your game to the finish line, yeah. but it kinda feels like you are. And that's a dangerous thing when, when you feel yeah. like you're being productive. Have you run into that where you kinda like accidentally like not even meaning to just procrastinate working on different things when, when you're not you know, when you could be doing something productive but but, you know, you're going through Google Images trying to find the perfect picture to use for that prototype. Uh, that's that's been me a lot. Like spending hours <laughs> uh, trying to find the perfect clipper. <laughs> for for like those, I have long way done away with pretty prototypes. <laughs> like I, when I was working on City of Remnants, I put so much effort into finding the right pictures. Yeah. I like graphic designed the cards and put like learned different systems in Photoshop. And that took me so, so much time. It's just like over and over just to pitch it all 
throw all of that away and then have some someone else come in and do beautiful, actually good work right. <laughs> on top of it. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff definitely don't do, but that's not what you're asking as far as balance. Um, when it comes to balance, you know, it's I, I, I just like getting the game to the table. Yeah. Like, but I'm also not a person that writes rules. Um, I don't write the rules out. I know uh, for a lot of designers, they kind of need that process. They need to understand every aspect of their system. And I just kind of like, mm, this works in my head. Maybe I'll write a table, uh, just kind of like some notes and it's like, okay, this will work this way and stuff like that. But I don't, I just kind of, everything's in my head. I sit people down. It's like, here's how it works. Let's go, yeah. you know, and see how it's feel. And sometimes even in the middle of those sessions, I'll say, uh, we're going to change this because that's not working. Or I can see that you're struggling with that. Or this is going to, this is, you know, this is obviously not give, give, making the feeling happen that I'm hoping to, to have. Um, so I just try to get stuff to the table as quickly as possible. I don't, I don't worry about numbers. Now, if, I don't know exactly how to get get the feeling <laughs> quite yet. Then I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what do I need to do? I'm daydreaming, I'm thinking a lot, like I'm trying to trying to make that work. Um, but balance isn't really on my mind up until I've already achieved the feeling. And then once we get to the balance step, I kind of feel like I already have a team behind me yeah. because I'm lucky enough to be a full time designer. To have people pushing me, to have people saying, okay, we believe in this. Let's go ahead and try to get it past the finish line. Let's set due dates. Let's get everything going. <laughs> so for me, I don't really have that kind of like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and sit around and play with the numbers kind of opportunity. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's not something that I've really ever done um, because my mind doesn't really work that way. Um, where my mind can is like on the development of the characters that I'm building or the world that's going on and like what's going on with you know how do I, how do I make this character look in a certain way because I was an art director for a lot a long time here at the company um, that's where I can kind of get carried away because that's that's what I'm really focused on bringing these characters to life bringing these worlds to life um, and the system that they live in is very important to me but it's also a way to tell their story not necessarily a way to make the most balanced game in the world for me <laughs> yeah definitely it's something i've heard a lot of people talk about they get so caught up in the lore and the world build, building and we, we as designers we often forget like we love these worlds we love these things that we're creating but the lore is not the game the lore is not the story yeah. you know the the world yeah. is not the game and so it's easy to yeah. just kind of uh, get lost in that and it's fun and it's good stuff but at the oh, yeah. end of the day it's sure it's not the game on the table for sure. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, let's talk about your specific process for some of your games. Uh, let's talk about for Ashes. You mentioned the economy. Like when you're when you're thinking through the economy, and, and we can talk about what that means as far as LCGs and CCGs as well, just so people understand. Uh, but what were you really thinking about as far as balancing out the way the cards, you know, what, how much they cost versus how much damage they do, all that kind of stuff? What, what was your process? So my process was honestly when I was developing the first set. Um, it was very much like, do I feel that this is right? Do I feel like if I spend two dice on this attack that does two, two damage, is that about right? You know, um, and I would build cards around that feeling thinking that 
okay, I'm I'm about all right. I'm 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 feeling good. And honestly, most of the time, that's how I still design cards when I when I do approach them. Uh, honestly, I'm not designing uh, most of the decks. Or so my lead playtester uh, Robert Klotz, and uh, we also have another lead playtester Nick uh, have designed some decks uh, that have come out lately. And that's how I approach it. Um, but when I met some other people that have very analytical brains, uh, that are very much, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we need to change this because in all of your other cards, um, the, the, uh, damage output per dice cost is this equation. Yeah. And this card is outside of that equation, <laughs> you know? So, I enjoy and love people that think that way. Well, right. Thank God for I him. don't. I actually, <laughs> right. I actually like gravitate towards that in the design process, especially with Ashes. If, um, a lot of the help of making that thing work were because of uh, the people that I had uh, with me helping me through lead playtesting and set up those systems because they were so engaged with the system that they wanted everything to make sense. Um, because a lot of people that play, uh, like, it was so surprising to me, um, at the first big ashes event, how many engineers were present, yeah. <laughs> mechanical engineers. And it's like, dude, like, why are you guys <laughs> all into this? And it seems to gravitate like a very analytical mindset, these yeah. types of games and, or at least ashes did. And it is definitely very important to try to make that happen. But when I'm when I'm throwing stuff down on cards, it's not the thing that I focus on. Yeah, it's it's more about the feeling and trying to make cards that make sense to the character that I'm trying to craft and the magic type that they represent. You know, um, so once I had that down, then it's about those little tweaks. You know, it's like okay, yes, we've established a baseline system that it, this much damage output works for this much dice, but this is their special card. So let's go ahead and adjust that or, you know, let's, let's go ahead because they're comboing with this card. Maybe that kind of economy of the fact that you have to combo it with this will allow this kind of extra push to happen. Or if it makes that thematic sense, you know? Um, so it's just kind of playing around with those systems and then having the play testers do their due diligence, make sure that they kind of, push me back in <laughs> because honestly like that's not where my strengths lie that's where play testing comes in that's where i have people with very analytical brains kind of looking at at my at my product and giving me their input and luckily we've been we at plat hat games have been very lucky that we've been able to attract a lot of people that can give us that insight yeah, for sure. Now, with some of your other games, where you've got factions, and you have you know players that take on a faction. Maybe they've got special abilities, or maybe they play the game just a little bit differently. You know, City of Remnants, Starship Samurai, these kinds of games. What mm -hmm. do, what do you do? What's your process as far as making sure factions are balanced? You know, based you know towards the game and also towards each other. Well, um, with with City Remnants, my first game, um, they all had different you know starting cards, different starting abilities. Um, and it was again, more about the feeling luckily for that, uh, because we didn't have the mass playtesting team at the time, it did turn out fairly well received. And it seemed like most people thought every person came up to me at one point and told me each individual faction was unbalanced. So I just, <laughs> so at, at, when I hear that, I feel like, Oh, okay. I guess I get, did a good job. Right. Every 
person feels like one one is imbalanced. But the thing that I noticed there too is that in that type of game, people felt like, well, now I'm pigeonholed into a strategy. Um, and because my faction kind of leans in this direction as far as their theme is going. And I think that works really well in some games. But for a game like Starship Samurai, I kind of pushed against that and had everybody start off with the same situation except for the characters that they choose at the beginning of the game when they draft their specific samurai. Um, And then that also offers, you know, an opportunity. It's like, okay, instead of me being given this faction, just randomly given this faction, now I have the opportunity to choose something. So even if the combination that you chose is not necessarily the most balanced, it was your choice. So you can have a feeling of like, ooh, I have something that I'm really kind of doing something very interestingly with these characters. But the other another teammate may have chosen a combo that's more interesting, which kind of encourages players and it's like, okay, now I have the opportunity next time to know that I want that guy instead of this guy, and I'm gonna combo him with this guy and try to take this strategy. You know, so kind of I think that the best way to do that with factions is to offer players choice of how to combine things um, with a with a fair system of kind of like giving giving certain bonuses to players who got to choose first or second or third and things like that. But I think that also all depends on the game. Um, There's lots of different games that do that well. And asynchronous play is something that I think people will always have a feeling of one faction is going to be better than the other, even if it was the most balanced choice because no, no play, not all players are starting with the equal system. Yeah, for sure. Now, what what do you think as far as, you know, style of play? Like, let's say you've got one faction that's real, they get a lot of bonuses for combat, and now you have a player that's not big on combat and playing that faction. And so you kind of run into those situations as well. What What's your advice for somebody that, that really wants the asynchronous play? They want these factions to feel individual, right? But then also you got to be aware of play styles and things like that. What would you say? I think it's always going to be difficult to do that and match that right up with the right person. Um, I think that, again, it's going back to giving players a choice. If you have a way that you can build it in so you give players a choice of what kind of strategy they want to approach the game with, that's always difficult to do, though, when someone's coming into your game completely fresh. True. So um, sometimes, um, you know, you can offer players the opportunity to start. Everybody's the same in the first game, but in, you know, game two, you guys could go ahead and choose which factions you want to go ahead and approach the game with so you can you can kind of like try to having having both options available to players so that way they can kind of get you know understanding the system and then understanding how to approach the system in it maybe in a slightly different way or what you can do is just try to make sure again that those those different strategies all feel like valuable logical paths to victory yeah um so it's just like okay my guy is the economic faction i'm focusing on gaining as much money as possible their guys are about beating up as many people as possible both of those pathways seem very fair seem very interesting and they don't make any player feel that like oh man if i was that faction i would have won yeah. Because obviously that's the only way to win the game. You know, it's a, it's really about making sure that every player feels that every pathway is as balanced and as equal as possible, even if maybe one is easier 
they have to feel that it is <laughs> you know yeah for sure something i've been doing working on a game uh, right now it's a space game and there's four different factions is there's tech trees where you can kind of up, upgrade and do different things and for each faction they have one tech route one tech tree that's the same for everybody. So all four factions, the exact same. Every every line on that tech tree is the same. And then there's another tech tree that every one of them is different. And so everybody, yeah. in, in trying to, everybody's kind of the same, but also a little bit different. And trying to find yeah. that balance between, you know, there's no clear like, oh well, you oh you got this faction, therefore you're going to win. Like no, we we pretty much all had the same tech upgrades, and we can all kind of do it, you know, in the same way if we wanted to. But then there's a few differences here and there that kind of make each faction just a little bit uh, different. And so that's one way that I've, I've been doing. We'll see if it works. Yeah, having having a lot of different um, having a lot of opportunities for players that they can go in the same path um, to victory, even though they may have started off on different different parts, makes players feel a little bit more fair, a little bit more balanced. It's also about like it, it you know, maybe it's about giving that that feeling of asynchronous play without having it be so. Uh, important yeah. you know to the players like you know having i think i think uh i've been playing scythe recently uh quite a bit and they do a really interesting job of making all the players kind of feel different but they also everybody kind of gets comboed in a certain way at the beginning depending on the two different player boards that you get um in different ways that is never the same yeah. from game to game so even <laughs> even if you get the faction that you love or you think is overpowered what their um, actions actually end up being is always going to be different. So even even though like oh they got that one, they may not have the actions that are going to synchronize the best with that faction. They may have to think of a new different path to victory than they normally would if they had their ideal combination. Yeah, you know. So I think that that's also something that's you can you can look into by having having ways for players to be able to manipulate maybe. You don't start off with everything that faction normally gets every single game. There's a way to kind of change that up because in that way people can say, well, we're going to go ahead and try to approach it a different way next time. Yeah, for sure. And especially games like Scythe that, that people play over and over and over again, it would be easy for people to figure out the game. Like they got the game figured out. And as long as they get this faction, they know how to win every single time. But with adding those different player boards and those different combinations, you can't do that because every game's right. going to be different. And so, you know, you can't just have your algorithm, your little formula and go, okay, on turn two, I need to do this. Turn five, I need to do this. And by turn 12, I'm right. like, it doesn't work that way because you got these little bit, uh, little differences. Right. Now, working on a game like Dead of Winter, where each person has hidden goals, how in the mm-hmm. world do you balance each hidden goal? Because they're not balanced. It's not you know they're not all equally uh, easy or equally have the same chance of winning. So how do you no. kind of balance that out and, and make it feel like everybody had a chance to win? Yeah. With with Dead of Winter, it was definitely about making sure that the secret objectives didn't feel impossible. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's whether or not they were balanced to each other wasn't necessarily the biggest thing. It's just like as soon as someone got it, looked at it, and it's like. I know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can accomplish this. When I got people playtesting and they would call me to the side, it's like, I don't understand how I'm going to be able to do this. I was like, this is already a problem. You know, <laughs> we, we, we need to not have that be the case. Yeah. We need to have that question not happening as much as possible. Um, so it was really about making sure that everybody saw a pathway to make that happen. Now, the choices that they decided to make determine whether or not that that actually happens but at least hopefully at the end of the game they felt 
I could have done this, but because I chose to help you or because I chose to help the colony or um, deal with the, the waste situation, I failed at this. But if people walk away from that feeling like it doesn't matter what I would have done, I could have been completely selfish. I could have only worked on my own stuff. There was no way I could have no, no way I could have accomplished this. It's impossible. That's where we were like. Nope, we can't have that happen, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and we need to really pay attention to it. And again, it was about making sure that players felt like when they got it, it wasn't so, oh, oh, like crazy to accomplish that they just already felt bad at the beginning of the game. You yeah. know? Yeah, for sure. I think the mark of a great game is when players who lost can look back and know why they lost. They know what decisions yes. they made to go, well, yes. had I gone left instead of right? Had I rolled this die instead of that die? They can look back and go, okay, now I know what to do next time yeah. to not make that same mistake. But I've played so many games, especially a lot of prototypes, where you look back and you're like, I have no idea what I could have done differently. And that yeah. doesn't make you want to play the game again because, like, what are you going to do differently? You don't, you don't know. You're just guessing. And so that's, that's not right. a fun feeling. Right. And so, People want a sense of justice yeah. and a sense that by going back to the experience that they're going to be able to make decisions that are going to provide an outcome that is beneficial yeah. to them. Because in the end, you, you competitive games for sure, and even cooperative games, you want to feel like there's a chance. There's a chance we're going to achieve our goal. Yeah. You know, It may be hard. It may be difficult. But there's a chance to see that goal because that victory will be so sweet if you do – because you were the smartest person at the table. You were the one who figured something out. Or maybe it's just an interesting tactic that you wanted to try and even just see how it worked out. Like there have been times where I've built a deck or played a game in a certain fashion just to see how it would function and yeah. what would happen because I wanted to see the outcome. And that can be a victory in, in itself that there's – enough pathways that players are interested in exploring so yeah it's just it really it really depends on what you're doing to bring that player back and giving them a sense that everything that they did had meaning and purpose yeah for sure now when do you know to stop like at what point do you go okay the game's balanced enough because this is one of the situations where you could just balance and balance and balance indefinitely and never finish the game so like how do you know all right we're good ship it let's get it out the door Honestly, I I don't have a perfect answer for that. It's something that we are always trying to figure out uh, how to do exactly because you know um, as as we've grown as a company, you know deadlines become a little tighter. Um, we learn that we need to you know hey there's there's more people here, so let's go ahead and make sure that we have good products coming out on a more efficient, uh, efficient time schedule. Um, and we also want to make sure that, you know, our games get enough play and they get enough attention and all of these things. So it's not always about knowing there's no formula is what I can say. I don't think there's any point in which you say, this is a hundred percent perfect. I have no, <laughs> I have no regrets. Let's go ahead and put this out there. Uh, I don't think there's ever a single game that I've ever released that I've walked uh, that I have sent to production and said that was 100% perfect. I couldn't have done any better, <laughs> or thought of something a couple months later and said, "Dang it, we should have done this. This could have happened. This could have been approached in this different way." So. It's not a perfect science. I think what you need to do is you need to say, can this get more fun? Yeah. You know, can I walk away from this? Yes, maybe I can get it more balanced or maybe I can get this 
this little tweak working out, but can this get more fun? Can me, by changing this, bring more joy to the people that are sitting down and playing it? You know, and sometimes that answer is yes. You know, let's go ahead and try to get that joy out. And sometimes the answer is no. Like, you really don't. And when you're just changing things just to change things and rebalance them and try them out, and and you're noticing that, like, it's not really having an effect on people's enjoyment or experience, then you're probably not making any changes that are worth making and you're <laughs> at that point. And I think that like, you'll also, if you have a good group of play testers, they will let you know, they will let you know when they think it's done, when they, when you don't see any comments coming in, when you don't see it, when you don't see it, when you see those underpowered and overpowered card lists, not even be a thing anymore. You're thinking, okay, all right, I think we got it. <laughs> no one's complaining about all this stuff anymore. I think we're there. So, I mean, I think you, you also have to be economic about it too. Like you have to think about what's your schedule? What are your deadlines? What are you trying to accomplish with this? Um, I can't just go ahead and sit here and say that I'm approaching games purely from a artistic <laughs> mind. I have to also approach it as a, as a business person. I have to approach it and saying like, Hey, this is, this is what puts food on my table yeah. and a roof over my head. So I have to figure out what's the most efficient way and when is a game, you know, this is, this game is good enough. This game is ready to go out to public. You know, these things are all working, uh, working together. The art is here. The graphics are here. Um, this, this system is working and people are, are enjoying it. And I don't think anything that I do is going to necessarily make it more exciting or the things that I wish to do it would actually work better in another project or another thing that I'm working on, you know, because sometimes I think as designers too, we can get a little scrambled as to where mechanics and themes and stories belong. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, what you're describing is actually another game. <laughs> <laughs> so, so take that and make another game. You don't have to put it in this game. Not every game has to be everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the game's probably better if it's not. It, if you take more right. stuff out, it probably gets a little bit better and more streamlined. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an, it's, it's not a perfect science. That's all. That's really what I can say. Like you, I think you have to follow intuition and you have to kind of gather people that you trust that are also gamers that are also playing. And it's like, Hey, if this, I think that also the, the really good question to ask is people that play the first time and people that have maybe been playing for a while, if this was on the market tomorrow, would you purchase it? Yeah. Was this would be this would this be something that you'd be interested in purchasing? And if you're getting a lot of yeses, I think you're pretty you're pretty close yeah. to being done. Um, and if you're getting a lot of noes, then <laughs> then one of two things: either this game's for you, <laughs> right? And you want it out there for you, or you know this game this game it needs more work and it needs to be put back to the drawing table. You need to go ahead and make some changes and keep going. Yeah, for sure. And you bring up a good point. There's a big difference between a passion project and a mm -hmm. product, right? Yeah. And both of those things are great things, but you just have yeah. to be honest about which one your game yeah. is. Yeah, because because it could be that like you made something that you're really proud of um, that just now a lot of people are connecting with. Yeah. And there are lots of things out there that people have made that end up not connecting with the audience. And sometimes things that don't connect with the audience at the time that it is released, sometimes things connect – Years later, <laughs> yeah. who 
knows? You, you know, um, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, <laughs> but, but you never know. Like sometimes I think you just kind of have to be proud of what you've done. And if you're getting a sense of joy out of it, if you're seeing, seeing a, a, a feeling or a sensation inside you, then it's like, man, I'm really proud of this. Yeah. You know, I'm really proud of this and it doesn't really matter in the end who really who really gets it. Then that's a passion project. That's what you need to that's what you need to you need to follow that. And I, I don't I don't shame anybody for following that. Um, I, ha- I, I don't have that kind of mindset. Uh, I, I mostly um, always think about it in both ways. I want it to be something I'm intensely proud of, but I also want it to be something that's going to be good for the company to be good for, to be good for my uh, fellow employees because it's, it's their livelihood too. They're putting a lot of work into it. I also want it to be something that my play testers are going to be proud of, you know? So it's, it's a team effort for me and I want to make sure that everybody is getting the sense of just because I have a sense of joy doesn't mean that, it's the right thing for everybody else right now. And I need to kind of help balance that because it's not only me that the game, my games affect, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's a really, really good point. Well, Isaac, man, really appreciate your time. Do you got any kind of closing thoughts, closing advice for somebody who's you know trying to balance their game or trying to figure out what does balance look like? I think that I think the best thing for players to do is to not worry so much about the spreadsheets, not worry so much about the numbers and just sit down and worry about the smiles. Yeah. Um, count those <laughs> and see how many how many people are laughing and having a good time. You know, that's that's where you need to have things be overpowered. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way to look at it. If you can have a spreadsheet, make sure there's a column for smiles and, and laughter and all that. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, if it's man. that type of game, not every game is smiles, haha, happy. That is true. Too. Like, uh, I des- I try to design more of those. Yeah. <laughs> but some, you know, sometimes it's all about like numbers and spreadsheets. Sometimes that's what it is, you know. So, but like, I'm not necessarily the best designer to give you advice on those things. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. I'm not coming to you and going, okay. So my next, you know, heavy Euro game. I think. What do you think? <laughs> right. That's, that's right. not true. I appreciate Euros. I love them. I think they're great. But I am not – I don't think I could ever just be a pure Euro designer because I need that theme. I need that story. I need that connection to characters. And I want to make people laugh and have a good time. That's that's what makes me happy and excited to continue doing this. I want to see people smile. Yeah, so Absolutely. Well, cool, man. We're about to head over into a bonus round where we're going to talk about working on games in the same series or in the same world. So I'm excited to hear uh, your thoughts on that. But again, Isaac, really appreciate your time, man. Good luck with everything uh, Plat Hat is doing, all the games you're working on right now, and uh, everything else you got going on. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?